However, we found different results when we looked at education. In the U.S., more educated uh, stakeholders were more attracted to international firms relatively. Where in Latin America, uh, more educated people uh, were more attracted to the domestic firms. The financial investor, they want the stock price to go up. And so, so for their point of view, you know, profitability is going to be a, a more important driver of their assessment of the reputation of the firm. Greetings. This is Professor Ravi Sarathi, and uh, welcome to the International Business Today podcast. Uh, as you may know, in this podcast, uh, we try to discuss issues of current importance in international business, of strategic importance to uh, international business managers, uh, executives, company business owners, practitioners, as well as academics and students. Uh, my guest today is Professor William uh, Newbury, the writer, eminent scholar of global business in the business school at Florida International University. He has a PhD from uh, New York University, NYU. And one of his main areas of research is corporate reputation. He's published about 30 articles or more in journals such as uh, Journal of International Business Studies, the Strategic Management Journal, Journal of Management Studies, Corporate Reputation Review, as well as many books, his most recent being Building uh, Strategic Capabilities in Emerging Economies, published by Cambridge University Press. Bill, it's a real pleasure to have you and to learn from you about this field of corporate reputation. Well, th thank you, Ravi. It's my pleasure to be here. You know, I've always admired you know, the Northeastern University, uh, DeMore Kim School of Business, and you know, it's my pleasure to be here and talk about something I'm very passionate about. So, so thank, you for, thank you for hosting this podcast, and thank you for having me here. That's very kind of you. Um, so corporate reputation. It's a phrase that I think the average uh, person, the man on the street, would know what it means. But I'm sure that if you ask a dozen people, people would differ on what makes up a company's reputation. So, Bill, what would be your definition of corporate reputation? This is a good question. I think, you know, this is something that context matters. Mm -hmm. So at a very basic level, corporate reputation, it's the degree to which somebody has an attraction to, a trust, respects, and has an overall positive evaluation of a company. However, the context in which, which they're doing the evaluation matters. So this context could have varied based on country, where they have countries where they have different expectations of firms. Uh, so, you know, in the United States, a very developed country, uh, firms are expected to be one thing. Uh, in China, you know, they're expected to be another thing, in Japan, another thing, and so on and so forth. Uh, this also could vary by stakeholders, even within a country. So people who are more interested in environment and CSR are going to assess reputation based on, you know, factors related to that, their expectations related to what a company that's good at, you know, sustainability should do. Mm -hmm. uh, People who are interested more in being, you know, a very innovative company are going to use criteria based on innovation to to evaluate a company's reputation. And so, so we could think of reputation, you know, has an overall general feeling, admiring its respect of a company based on some standard. But we could also think of reputation as something that varies 
based on the particular stakeholder and the dimension you know to which they're evaluating reputation interesting on. so it really is in the eye of the beholder so to uh, speak. i think so yes mm -hmm. so um what are some of the consequences of having a positive or a negative corporate reputation? Does reputation affect how the firm does its performance, or is it the other way around? Yeah, there's a lot of evidence that shows that rep reputation does have a positive effect. Mm -hmm. uh, it can affect, for example, one study I worked on, you know, so it affected the degree to which people wanted to buy a company's products the degree to which they wanted to work for a company. So if you're in an environment where labor is short in short short shortage or mm -hmm. you know in high demand, uh, you know, you want to have a good reputation so you could attract the best human capital. Uh, could also influence the degree to which people want to invest in your corporation. So and all kinds of other supportive behaviors of firms. So so reputation is very important to these things. And then the performance impacts usually flow through these things. Mm -hmm. You hire better employees, uh, your company does well, it performs better. You sell mm -hmm. more products, this leads to greater performance. Uh, you know, you have people invest, you have more money, this leads to greater performance. So, so all these things, your know, reputation has all these different impacts on performance. Mm -hmm. Now I will say, it's also a circular type of argument. So reputation impacts performance, and particular finance performance has also been one thing that has been shown to impact reputation. So there's could be a virtual circle going on, or you know, or a negative circle going on. You know, if you start performing poorly, mm -hmm, your mm -hmm. reputation goes down, and your reputation goes down, your performance goes down again. So, so, so there is a, a mutual reinforcing relationship between reputation and performance. And performance, good, good. Now, in fields like finance, which you just brought up, we have ways of measuring financial performance: ROI, return on capital, etc. But if an executive or a company wants to, to influence their reputation positively, the first step is to measure their corporate reputation so that they have a benchmark, a baseline, from which to say, I'm going to try to make it better, to make changes. So are there ways, objective ways, to, to measure corporate reputation in, for a firm? Yes, yes. Uh, there, mm -hmm. there are measures out there that have been, you know, validated. You know, mm -hmm. one, the one that I'm most familiar with is the RepTrack mm -hmm. uh, measurement system uh, developed by that. Rep at that point, the Rep Rep Reputation Track. Institute okay. mm -hmm. developed the RepTrack. Now mm -hmm. they're the Reputation uh, Company, but, but the RepTrack Company. But basically, you know, they've developed a, a measure that has, you know, four items that you know you could you could actually ask people, you know. Uh, you know, these four questions and they'll tell you, you know, the reputation based on that. Now, you can't just ask one person. You have to ask a, a broad sample of people to get something that's representative. Mm -hmm. uh, there are also secondary measures of reputation that, you know, firms, if, if they're on these lists, you know, Fortune's mm -hmm. uh, World's Most Admired Company list and, and others. Uh, but if you're not on one of those lists and you want to measure your reputation, you know, using, you, could, you can use one of these develop measures and go out and ask the questions yourself. There are also a lot of secondary measures that mm. give you an indication of reputation that are much more available now than they ever were before. So example, you know, mm -hmm. uh, eva uh, evaluations of your products on different, you know, amazon.com and so on and so forth. You know, this, this gives you a feel for maybe not at the company level, but at least at your brand mm -hmm. level uh, and so on and so forth. Or you know, uh, evaluation services like Yelp, if you're a retail company that can tell you, you know, how good is your your business performing versus others and so on. So, mm -hmm. so there are 
multiple ways to measure reputation. Yes, yes. Now, you pointed out just now the importance of stakeholder perspective so that a customer might have a very different assessment of a firm from, say, the employee working within the firm or somebody who's buying shares in the company or perhaps the local community, right? So can you give me some examples of how this could vary between, say, a customer, an employee, and the local community? Yeah, so so the, the customer, you know, mm -hmm. they're... They're you know they're focused on you know mm. they're more likely to be influenced by for example the sustainability of a of a, a firm or mm -hmm. you know more things that they can feel directly and that impact them you know so so obviously they want a great product so the product is probably going to be the primary thing that influences their evaluation of the reputation mm -hmm. but they're also going to look at you know other things that they value. And so whether it be the, mm -hmm. they value a company, they may value a company that treats its employees well, and they, they want to reward that company by buying their products. Or they may value a company that, you know, like I said before, is very, uh, has strong CSR practices and, and is good for the environment. Mm -hmm. So now financial investors, they're looking at a different thing, right? They want a company that's financially performing, right? Whereas the buy, guy, buying, guy, gal buying your product, you know, he or she probably doesn't care if the company is profitable, they want a good company that makes good products, that does good things. The financial investor, they want the stock price to go up. And so so for their point of view, you know, profitability is going to be a, a more important driver of their assessment of the reputation of the mm -hmm. firm. So you could think of, you know, different stakeholders have different, indeed, different perspectives. So a company might have to balance spending on more quality versus trying to say, if I keep costs lower, my Profits will go up, which means my stock price could go up based on the P-E ratio, et cetera. Yeah, this is this is exactly it. Now, mm. now there's also long-term and short-term perspectives. Right. You know, some some of the things that drive the customers mm -hmm. to be happy in the long term may drive the performance as well. But certainly in a short-term performance, there's there's going to be some differences there. Right. Now, since our podcast is about international business, the obvious question to ask is: Does conducting international business change or affect either positively or negatively, a company's uh, corporate reputation? Yeah, this is a good question, and there isn't a lot of research out there. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, you know, I think more international firms tend to have, from the, 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 the studies I've been involved with, mm -hmm. tend to have more positive reputations. Mm -hmm. uh, they tend to be more attractive as employers mm -hmm. and, you know, and, other, and other, other stakeholders. However, you know, we still don't know all of the details there. Uh, in one of the studies I worked on, we did find looking specifically at reputation mm -hmm. or uh, organizational attractiveness, which is a form of reputation, mm -hmm. uh, that the demographic group mattered. Mm -hmm. So, for example, women found more international firms relatively more attractive than men. Uh, and we did this study in the U.S., and we also mm -hmm. did another version of the study in Latin America later, mm -hmm. and we found the exact same results. Mm -hmm. However, we found different results when we looked at education. And the U.S. more educated uh, stakeholders were more attracted to international firms relatively. Or in Latin America, uh, more educated people uh, were more attracted to the domestic firms, mm -hmm. generally because maybe they had ties to the domestic firms and the business groups, and, and the economy was structured differently. So it, the stakeholder matters in terms of you know, mm -hmm. who, how you assess reputation of a firm. And so is it possible for the same company to have a negative reputation in one country and a positive reputation in another, if I take your point a little bit further? Yeah, I think so. Huh? I think so. I think uh, 
I think, you know, I think we see more examples of that mm-hmm. uh, in the world today. Has, you know, we, has companies have become more international the last few decades. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we think a you know, company may have a very, you know, kind of, you know, kind of blinders mindset that if I'm reputed very well in the United States or Europe or wherever I am, mm-hmm. I go somewhere else, the reputation's automatically going to follow me. And this isn't often the case. I mm-hmm. mean, it is for the big companies in the world, but, you know, uh, Rugman, but Rugman and Verbecki, you know, in their famous study in the mm-hmm. 80s and, and other people, you know, noted, you know, that, you know, there aren't many truly global companies out there, right? Most, most companies are regional. And so outside your regional your region, many companies are not even known. Mm-hmm. And so so if they expect their reputation to transfer, it's going to be very hard because if the stakeholders in the other country don't know your company, mm-hmm. how can they give you a good reputation? And so so there's there's often cases I think where firms you'll know, have a good reputation in their home market, but it doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. translate into another market until they spend the time mm-hmm. to do the things that help them get the reputation in the home so country too. I guess the logical question then, how does a company transfer a good reputation in its home market to other countries? You know, for example, Apple is very well regarded here at home. Yes. So when it goes to Brazil or India, and it has been in China for a while, how does it make sure that that positive image is transferable? Yeah. So I think I think one thing that they need to do is they need to think through what are the what are the characteristics that led them to have a good reputation in the United States, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whether it's being uh, Apple's known for being a very innovative company, right? And so so that's part of it. And then part of it's other aspects of the company too, right? Is is it a great place to work and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. And then they need to go to this new country they're operating and think about, you know, how much can we take how much of that is still applicable in the other con- company? Now, in, in emerging markets like Brazil, uh, there tends to be you know, a positive effect of being a very highly innovative company from an advanced country. And so being from the United States and being known for having a very high quality product, that's probably easy to relay in the other country. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you have to keep in mind that in the other country, people may have other expectations too. They have other expectations about giving back to the envi- to the environment or sustainability or employing people. And so these other factors may be weighted relatively different in different mm-hmm. countries. And so they have to keep in mind, you know, how much of that actually really will transfer and how much doesn't. Mm-hmm. And, and they also need to develop some of those. They can't just expect to just export their product and people automatically accept it at the same level uh, without doing other things to support it. So it'll take some effort on their part. It will take some effort on their part, yeah. yeah. It's, it's doable, and they, they have right. the experience in the home market, but they but they can't just automatically assume it automatically transfers. Mm-hmm. Now, what about the industry? Now, if you think of companies, there are companies that are business uh, businesses that are consumer-facing, yep. right? And so that's one kind of business. And then there are businesses that are B2B. There are businesses that are natural resource companies, et cetera. So... Is there a difference between companies in, say, consumer businesses and B2B businesses in terms of how you might build or have a problem with trying to create a reputation overseas? Yes, certainly. Mm -hmm. I I mean, I think, you know, consumers, uh, B2C companies, you know, you have to really interact with the consumers, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The consumers need to know you. They need to be able to see your product. Mm -hmm. 
you know, in some ways, you know, once you're selling it there, they can experience a product and, mm -hmm. and, you know, and you can overcome it. But you also still have to, you know, deal directly with them and, and send signals out. So a big theory in a lot of the reputation is literature is called signaling theory. Mm -hmm. And this basically says, you know, this based in economics and it basically said, you know, firms purposely send signals out to stakeholders uh, that they use in evaluating and they try to control the message, right? Ah. Uh, and so, mm -hmm. and so, but, but, but they, but the signals also have to be reliable and real. Mm -hmm. If you send mm -hmm. signals out that aren't true, eventually it's going to catch up with you. And so, so, so firms do need to send signals out to consumers. Consumers, mm -hmm. uh, are harder to reach because they're very broad, right? Uh, on the, and, but an industry B2B, uh, you need to reach out to a different stakeholder, right? You need to reach out to the other business that's buying your your product, right? And that's that's a more specific stakeholder, but it's also a stakeholder that probably has a more refined you know expectation, right? Because you know, and so so you need to you need to do different methods and reach out to different people to mm -hmm. uh, to build your reputation among these different groups. Mm -hmm. Now, something that just about every com company that is going international or domestic for that matter, thinks about is uh, sustainability. Being green, trying to reduce carbon emissions, being seen as contributing to reducing you know, global warming, et cetera. So is that becoming a fairly central factor that affects the reputation both domestically and internationally? Uh, it is. Mm. Uh, I, my sense is it is. I think it varies by country still. But I think there is a lot of evidence that as countries advance, mm -hmm. uh, and even before advancing at earlier stages, they're, they're very in, interest, interested in firms, you know, doing things that are sustainable, being environmentally responsible, and so on. Uh, you know, I've had several chances to visit China over the last two decades. Uh, from my experience, you know, when I first went in you know, the early 2000s, mm -hmm. you know, there wasn't that much concern about, you know, corporate sustainability, environmental influence, and so on. But a few years later, you could see a big difference in the expectations of firms, you know, where they weren't, ex foreign firms weren't expected just to provide jobs and technology, but they were expected to be good citizens mm -hmm. and uh, contribute to, you know, dealing with, you know, environmental issues and social issues. And so I think, you know, the expectations of firms in many countries has gone up mm -hmm. and, um, and, and I think they will continue to do so. Now, we've been implicitly looking at this issue of corporate reputation from uh, the standpoint of Western companies, U.S. companies, et cetera. So if we switch perspectives and look at it from the viewpoint of a company from an emerging market, say from Mexico or India, other West, less, less well-known countries, say Costa Rica, do such uh, emerging market, emerging economy firms have more of a reputation barrier to overcome when they go internationally, particularly when they come to Western markets? And what can they do in order to try to enhance and develop a positive reputation if they are, in fact, from a emerging market that is not as well known? Yeah, this is a very important question. So, uh, you know, th there was a review in the reputation literature, you know, about a decade ago that mm -hmm. talked about reputation, three different types mm -hmm. or three different components. One component is being known. Mm -hmm. You know, how well is your phone firm known? Uh, the second is being known for something. Mm -hmm. And the third is generalized favorability. And so, so being known for something could be being known for, you know, making a great cell phone or a great computer. 
where generalized favorability would be something like, you know, Walt Disney Corporation, which is just known as being a good company overall. Now, the, the difficulty with emerging market firms is that, you know, they suffer in all three of these things. Uh, now, there are exceptions, obviously, but for the most part, most emerging market firms aren't known outside their home country or outside mm -hmm. their home region. And so with a few exceptions, you know, Indian IT firms, Brazilian beef and so on, uh, you know, these emerging market mm -hmm. firms, when they come to the U.S., they just aren't known. <laughs> and so this, this gives them a disadvantage right away because it's hard to have a reputation if people don't know who you are. Uh, the other, the next part is, you know, known for something also tends to be a barrier for these firms. Mm. Uh, so we can think of, you know, because if, because people don't know about the firm that well or at all, they will resort to thinking about what they think of the country. Mm -hmm. So country stereotypes, country reputations are going to play a much bigger role uh, for these firms. And so, and in the most emerging market countries, while, you know, they may be a great place to go to the beach, to vacation, they're generally not don't have positive reputations with respect to business practices. Now, again, there are exceptions, you know, Indian IT, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Chinese ability to produce, you know, low-cost goods, things like that. There are exceptions, but in general, you know, uh, the reputations associated with business products in these markets tend to be lower. Mm -hmm. And so there's, they don't know the specific firm, they're going to go to the country reputation, and, and that's generally not going to do them well. Uh, so if one example, there was a, there's a Chinese uh, car manufacturer called Cherry. I'm pronouncing that not exactly mm -hmm. right, but mm. they did a blind sort of taste test, but not with tasting of the product, their, their cars in Mexico, another emerging market. Mm -hmm. And they showed consumers the cars without a label and with a label, you know, with the Cherry label. Where it's just, and the consumers, when they just looked at the car and its features, they rated it pretty high. But when they looked at the car with the cherry label and they knew it was China, all of a sudden the ratings went down for the exact same car. Mm -hmm. And so, so there was, you know, a liability of being, you know, from an emerging market in terms of their reputation uh, and the evaluation of the firm. So the country of origin has some impact on reputation, which is independent of what the company actually is trying to do. Yes. Yeah. The countries, you know, the, the, the stereotypes about their their countries exist and the firms from those countries, you know, these stereotypes go down to the firms. Mm -hmm. The more is known about the individual firm, the less people rely on the stereotypes. Mm -hmm. So, but that's, that's a, that's a, you know, that's a hurdle that emerging market firms have to go through. Mm -hmm. And there are ways they can do this and lots of, lots of, lots of ways they can do this. You know, they can work, they can work to develop with the home country leadership to develop, you know, the reputation of the home country. So, for example, many countries, you know, have special economic zones. Uh, Lithuania has the mm -hmm. Kaunas SEZ. Uh, you know, the, the, when I was in Lithuania, you know, I was learning about this a couple of years ago. And, you know, and this, this has helped being, you know, the, the country develop a reputation in the IT sector because they basically set up this zone for companies that specialize in these type of industries to locate. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, firms from emerging markets, they can participate in industry associations and, and deal with, you know, the key players in the B2B markets that kind of, you know, can help them get, make the, the jump to the B2C markets. Uh, some firms, you know, sponsor sporting events, which is, you know, a double-edged sword, but it gets your name out there, right? You know, firms can also do joint ventures or they can acquire for other firms. Uh, many emerging market firms do this partially to get capabilities quickly, 
but partially also because, you know, it uh, allows them uh, to get a brand name or get a company name that they can be associated with in the developed market. And mm-hmm. it gives them, you know, some, some, some headway in terms of developing, you know, their own reputation. You know, mm-hmm. at first they, they acquire the company, they keep it under the, the local name. Then maybe they gradually introduce their, their name co-branding, and so people get used to it. Mm-hmm. And then eventually over time, you know, people get used to it and they can use their own name. Yeah. Now, today's world is becoming somewhat more fragmented. You know, yeah. you've got uh, China, for example, trying to create a region of influence. You've got the Western economies in the U.S. with a slightly different influence uh, in region. So what happens when you have these kinds of different economic groupings and political systems and values. You know, values in a socialist economy or a dictatorship may be very different from the values that a company holds for itself and its employees and what it considers core values, right? So for example, uh, a US company might say, we really value you know, equal rights and we really value gender equality. And uh, in a dictatorship, uh, Nepotism may be very important, and in a socialist country, profits may be less important than what are you doing for our country's uh, uh, independence and ability to be stronger in the future. So how much should a company change what values it holds dear when it goes overseas, and to what extent should it embrace local values? You know, there's this idea and strategy of, uh, you know, being very international and being multi-domestic. So is there similar kinds of issues when it comes to corporate reputation in the sense of multi-domestic uh, corporate reputation strategy or approach? Yes. Uh, so I've, there's kind of two pieces yeah. to this answer. Mm-hmm. So, so the one first, I'll, I'll mention the book that you, you yeah. graciously you know, mentioned in your introduction you know, mm-hmm. on emerging market strategic capabilities. Right. You know, in, the, in this book, we interviewed uh, 72 CEOs and top leaders, or mm-hmm. the CEOs and top leaders of 72 multinationals in 12 different emerging markets. So, uh, and we asked them, you know, what capabilities are most important for you to be successful? Uh, and of the top five, three of the identified capabilities had to do with being locally embedded in the market, mm-hmm. whether it had to do with adapting products or uh, establishing relationships with local consumers and local stakeholders and, and you know, just being, you know, uh, part of the lo- having local connections and so on. And so, so being locally embedded is very, very important. So you can't be seen as an outsider. You have to be involved. You have to make connections to be the local environment. You, you need to have, you know, not be seen as somebody who's just coming in to sell your products, but you're actually contributing more than just the product to the local environment. Mm-hmm. And so, so the local adaptation is very, very important. And this isn't just in the products, but it's also in you know, how you do business, you know, cultural differences, you know, and, and so on and so on, need to be respected. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so I think this is the one half of the story is you need to be local adapt- right. uh, locally adaptive and you need to you know, make sure you're, you're respecting the local culture and, the, and then so on. Now, on the other side of the story, there there are certain core values of a company that you know a company probably cannot change, they, and probably should not change, right? And so, mm-hmm. so in certain extreme cases, you know, dictatorships and so on, you know, the company may make the decision that you know we just shouldn't be in that market because it's so different from how we operate and it's so much mm-hmm. in violation of our core value as a company uh, that you know 
we need to we need we just need to avoid that market. And so companies, so it's a, it's a tight balancing act, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and then there's you know maybe it's hard to find the exact line where you cross over or don't cross over because you need to be you do need to locally adapt. But at some point, you know, uh, if you go beyond your core values as a company, uh, then you know. It's not just going to affect your ability to succeed in that market, but it's going to be known in your home market and other markets, and it could exp- af- affect the reputation of the firm mm-hmm. uh, in your home market as well. Particip- particip- right. Particularly in you know in an information technology type era where where information travels. And so. mm-hmm. That's just what I was going to get to next. That today, uh, social media is everywhere. Uh, everyone has to be willing to both understand and use social media. So my question is, when you have companies, global social platforms, digital platforms, like TikTok, Facebook, and Amazon, a platform is a group of companies. No one company by itself creates value. It's shared value. So all the different companies on TikTok, along with the owner and the operator of the platform, together create value. So how do you control your reputation when you're associated with this collectivity you know, like an ecosystem of companies. How do you separate your reputation from the ecosystem of the digital platforms' uh, actions, which may lead to harm overall in terms of the reputation? Yeah, I think this is very important for firms to keep mm-hmm. in mind, right? You know, and you know, certain parts of certain platforms they have more control of over others, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Amazon, you're selling your actual product there, and so mm-hmm. and so, so you have a lot of ability. You know, if people make evaluations of your product, I believe on Amazon you can reply, right? right. And you can you and you can be very conscious. And there there are firms that are very good at this. Uh, not particularly at Amazon, but for example, on Facebook and Twitter and so on. You know, uh, Nike is one that I've read several reports are very strong at this. Mm-hmm. Qantas Airlines in Australia, Whole Foods, you know, they spend a lot of effort, you know, monitoring, you know, consumers and their comments and their and their concerns about the products and, and actually replying to individually to consumers mm-hmm. to, you know, say, you know, sorry about your concern, you know, we we're trying to do this to correct it, or you know, or, or maybe you could try this, or you know, trying to trying to really give good feedback and and show that they take the consumer's concern mm-hmm. uh, quickly. Now, this takes a lot of resources for a firm, right? You know, because there's a lot of uh, platforms out there, uh, you know, that information is is coming through, and you know, and so they they need to you know really be monitoring this closely. Uh, the other thing that firms can do is they can try to control some of the me- messaging themselves, right? So they they can do their own TikTok videos, or they can do their own, you know, advertising in different platforms and try to, you know, try to get the message out there directly as well. So so part of it's you know con- getting the message out that you know this is what we are as a company, this is what we stand for, and so on. And the, and then the other end, you know, actually replying. To concerns and showing that you take concerns in these in these social media platforms seriously, mm-hmm. and uh, and working hard to build a reputation that way. Mm-hmm. Now, when you think of this shared value, it's not just digital platforms. It's also in the international arena, international joint ventures, yes, and global supply chains. So that you rely on distant companies as partners in a joint venture. And you rely on distant companies as part of a global supply chain who source your raw materials, components, uh, even finished goods sometimes, right? So how much does you know, these kinds of associations, international joint ventures, 
supply uh, subcontractors in the supply chain. How much does that influence reputation? And is that a source of danger for a company? It is a source of danger, mm -hmm. uh, particularly you know, in a world where information is much more available than it was, mm -hmm. you know, even ten or twenty years ago, right? And so, so if you know, if I'm a company and my supplier, you know, hires child labor, mm -hmm. I may not know about it. I yeah. didn't. They didn't ask me, you know. But my supplier hired child labor to do this one piece that's really embedded in the bigger product, you know. This this information will be found out, and it could and could hurt the reputation of my firm, and and ultimately hurt sales of my product, and so on. Investors don't want to invest in us, and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. So so companies really need to be diligent in monitoring, you know, their suppliers going out and you know, looking inspecting you know where they work and so on and so forth. I know Nike had lots of problems exactly. a few mm -hmm. decades ago mm -hmm. and they've changed their approach, right? And they, mm -hmm. and they do have much more, you know, supervision and much more uh, oversight of what their suppliers do uh, because, you know, this is a problem. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, companies also need to do this in terms of, you know, making sure the quality <laughs> of the product is good as well, which can also hurt your reputation, right? If you have a supplier that makes a, mm -hmm. a faulty component and then all of a sudden it, it hurts the 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 quality of the overall product mm -hmm. you know again this hurts your reputation too okay so, so let's say you have either by omission or by commission harmed your reputation what steps can you take to recover and polish and bring back your reputation yeah i think this is this is important i think uh you know the first thing you do is uh, admit it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think, mm -hmm. you know, there's a very legal culture in the U.S. where a lot of firms don't want to admit that they've mm -hmm. done anything wrong. Their lawyers are advising them not to do this. Uh, but at some point in view, if, if you know, particularly if you're dealing with your reputation with consumers and with, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the local community, you know, just admitting that you did something wrong, even if, even if it wasn't totally in your control because it was your supplier, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Helps helps a little bit in easing that. Now, now that's not going to cause everybody to automatically love you just because you said you're sorry, right? Uh, they want to they they want to believe that you mean that you've said you're sorry and they're changing things, right? Mm -hmm. So firms need to, you know, if they find something's gone wrong with a supplier, they mm -hmm. need to take corrective action. Either you know start monitor the the supplier more closely. Put in you know procedures to make sure the supplier is doing things the way they should be doing, or stop using that supplier and sw switch to another supplier. So they need to make take corrective actions, you know, uh, to make sure you know their partners, their suppliers are actually meeting the standards that they, as a firm, you know, uh, profess to meet. Mm -hmm. uh, so so this is difficult, right, uh, uh, in a global economy to monitor and then implement, and then the. The last thing is, you know, I think firms need to be transparent. Uh, you know, it's one thing to say you've done all this, but if no one can really tell, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're not going to trust you. And we talked at the very beginning about re reputations, all about the trust that people have towards a firm and their, their, their ability to admire and respect mm -hmm. it. And, you know, and if, and if the firm's been caught doing something wrong in the past, even if it wasn't their fault, even if it was a supplier's fault, uh, you know, People want, you know, they're going to be a little less uh, trusting that they made a correction, corrective action, unless they can really see, mm -hmm. they see evidence, you know, that you know the firms are really doing it. So being being transparent in their actions, uh, so that people can tell that the, the that things have been improved, is very important in rebuilding mm -hmm. reputation. 
So given your years of experience and research on this topic, is it harder now for companies to maintain a good reputation? You know, are expectations being ratcheted higher and higher so that it's more easier for a company to be seen as failing to meet expectations and thus you know, the reputation declines? Is this something that you feel is happening? Uh, my sense is it is speeding up a little bit. Mm. I mean, my sense is, you know, attention spans mm. have gone much shorter, right? Mm -hmm. And so people are willing, less willing to give company credit, for, companies credit for past actions mm. when something new comes up. Now, I do think it's still the case that a company, and research has shown that companies that, you know, have had a longer history mm -hmm. of, you know, performing at a high level and being, you know, very highly reputed mm -hmm. tend to survive problems better than firms that were kind of, you know, in the middle reputation range already, right? Mm -hmm. But when you're at that high level, it's also, there's a lot farther to fall to, right? And so, and with, you know, with information out there, uh, these firms are also the ones that are more vulnerable, you know, when negative things happen. And, mm -hmm. and so they have, they have to be very careful how do they manage this, you know, some of the things that I talked about before, uh, you know, putting correction, corrective actions in place will mm -hmm. help them do that. I think it's been a fascinating conversation, Bill. Oh. So, you know, in conclusion, what two or three sort of action items would you suggest to executives and companies, whether they're in strategy or marketing or production operations, you know, communications, what would you suggest, you know, should be at the top of their mind, the top two or three things they should really think about in order to protect and enhance uh, their firm's corporate reputation. So the first thing I would say mm -hmm. is I would, you know, uh, don't overestimate the ability of, to transfer your reputation from one country to another. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it may work for, you know, if you're an Apple or, you know, of one of these very well-known global brands, but for most companies, this is going to be very hard. Mm -hmm. So don't expect just because you have a good reputation in your home country mm -hmm. that you're automatically going to be, you know, a superstar in another country that you go to. It's going to take some effort to do this and you need to think through, you know, what, what are the drivers in your home country of your reputation, you know, whether it be, you know, good product or whether it be you know, great employment practices or innovation or good citizenship, you know, what factors really helped you in the home country? And then how do these factors translate into the new market you're going to and how are they, how are, are these same factors appreciated to the same extent in the new market? So how can, how can so you need to learn to build up your reputation again from the bottom up. Now you have so you have a head start in the second country because you've already got practice doing it in your home country, mm -hmm. and and you can you know and and some things will transfer, uh, but you need to be very careful of this. Uh, so that would be the first thing. Mm -hmm. The second thing is you know you need to understand the local context mm -hmm. and the expectations. So reputation is about local context. You know it it is about the expectations of a firm based on you know what 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 a country people in the country think, or mm -hmm. stakeholders, particular stakeholders in that country think. So whether it's, you know, environmentalists, consumers, you know, potential employees, you know, what are the key drivers that these stakeholders expect from a country and how can, expect from a country, company, I'm sorry, and how, how can they manage these drivers? So what, so what can a company do to make sure they meet the expectations of varying stakeholders 
in different places they operate, which can get very complicated, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's complicated enough in the in you know one country, for example, the United States or you know, you know England or the United Kingdom or you know France or China, you know, to manage differences between stakeholders in one country environment. When you're operating in multiple country environments, you have different stakeholders demanding different things. Uh, it's hard to keep track of and balance, right? And, and still be true to yourself as a company. So that'd be the second thing. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing, I think, you know, local partners are very important. And these can be partners that you're formally working with. So, you know, your suppliers, you know, a joint venture partner and so on. You know, these, these have, but also you people in the, in the local environment that you deal with on an everyday, whether it be you know, local government officials mm-hmm. or whether it be, you know, uh, I don't know, consumer groups or, you know, NGOs operating in an environment mm-hmm. or whatever, whatever, you know, the local stakeholders are and stakeholder organizations that you might interact with in, in some capacity. So making sure you uh, work with local, local partners that are reputable, that, you know, complement and give you give you assets or give you experience or knowledge that you can mm-hmm. use is very important to you know to building your reputation in other markets and also mm-hmm. helping to avoid you know potential issues from having a bad partner or getting bad advice absolutely fascinating i hadn't thought that much given much thought to corporate reputation and i think listening to you this past half hour or so has really made me think this is a subject of incredibly important strategic uh, value to a company. Thank you again, Bill. Okay, let, let me thank you again too, Ravi. It's been my pleasure to participate in this pad, podcast and also you know, just thank you to everybody involved with international business today and everybody at you know, Northeastern University, DeMore Kim School of Business for organizing these podcasts, which is a great series. To our audience, I hope you found this discussion of corporate reputation interesting and useful. I know that I have learned a great deal today, and I now think that this is an issue, corporate reputation, of great strategic importance to companies that want to go international or are already international. Uh, I think uh, we will continue in our podcast episodes to discuss uh, issues of importance in international business, and I hope you'll come back again and that you will tell your network your friends, your peers, about our uh, efforts and uh, help spread our ideas. Thank you very much.